0: Um, when Claude spoke last week, the, the main theme I took from it was that he was saying that everything we need is in Jesus. Our focus should be on Jesus, and that, that, he was talking to us as individuals. And I was just reflecting on how that would work out at, at, on the on the the, the church, the, the 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 body of Jesus here. And it's trying to fathom, we know God has a plan. And I was thinking, how do you find God's plan? So to begin with, I mean, because he knows it from beginning to end. There's no problem to him, it's just for us finding it. So to begin with, I thought, um, let's have a look back in the Old Testament and see if we can find a God plan there and see how that worked itself out. And I won't read the, um, the, the, the text, because the narrative would just take too long. But, but I went back and started in um, Genesis chapter 15. And that was God setting out a, 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 his plan when he um, was talking to Abraham and Sarah. They'd been desperate for a child for years. And, um, and in fact, Abraham was complaining, look, I'm going to have to leave my wealth to a distant relative because I don't have an heir. But God intervened and said, look, not only are you going to have a son, but you are going to have descendants that are as numerous as the stars in the sky and the grains of sand on the seashore. And not only that, you're going to have a new land for them to inhabit. Which, no good news, all good news and if you were making a film you'd say well that's it, they've got everything they wanted, roll the credits and they're going to live happily ever after but even in that promise there was a a bit of a sting in the tail because he did say that in just a few generations your people are going to go into a, a, a foreign land, they're going to be aliens in a foreign land and they're going to be kept in pretty harsh conditions, you know, bondage and slavery. And this, so this, yeah, there, there was this, but for Abraham it didn't matter because he, was, he wasn't going to be there. He, his, that was something for the, for, the, for the future. So it looks as though everything is, it's got the promise, everything's going to be fine. Except Abraham and Sarah then have to meddle a bit and think, we can't leave this just to God um, we, he might need our helping hand and they get involved with Hagar and, and, and cause all sorts of problems along the way but Isaac does come they have their, their son and it, it, everything looks fine until we get to chapter 22 when Abraham is told take this son of yours up Mount Moriah and sacrifice him to me. Now, every illustration I've have seen of, of this, it's been an old man leading a young lad, probably 11, 12 years old, up the mountain. But I gather that that, that it's now believed that at that time, Isaac was probably in his early 30s. Now, there's cleverer people than me that have worked it out, um, but. And they've not dug up some ancient birth certificate and said no, him when he was born. It, it's that from the information we do know, we know how old Sarah was when Isaac was born. We know how she was when she died, and they've worked out a timeline. And and so, it, it's not this helpless young boy that was led up the mountain. It was someone that could have resisted. And. Going up the mountain, there 's this question: Where is the lamb for the sacrifice and the The answer is the Lord will provide the sacrifice, which of course he does. But I gather too that this, this mountain, Mount Moriah, later became known as Golgotha or Calvary and Two thousand years later, there was a, another sacrifice on there where the Lord provided the sacrifice. Another young man in his early thirties, and it's the, the, the that detail which doesn't actually change anything very much. But to me, it's faith-affirming to, to see that there's this, this perfect symmetry that you really just couldn't make it up. It's, it's um, you can see it, it, it is. There has to be a meaning in God's plan. But we can see that he has a plan which is perfect, it's working out, he knows he's going to complete it, but but don't expect it to be comfortable all the way along the line. Because if we move on to to chapter 37 of Genesis, uh, by this time Abraham's grandson Jacob has 12 sons they become the families that we become the 12 tribes of Israel but one of them Joseph, Jacob's favourite is sold into slavery by his jealous brothers and not only is that a bad enough experience for him he has all sorts of trials and tribulations in Egypt before he gets to the stage where he is able to help his refugee family when they come in when, when, when uh, the, the famine strikes. And this is where the 400 years of bondage begin. And you do question why they had to suffer this. Why, why did the, 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 these people chosen by God have to, to live under these conditions? well, There there's always a number of strands to what God is doing. If you look at the way um, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob lived, they were tent-dwelling herdsmen. They, were, they had to move with their flocks and herds to find feed. They were living in a semi-arid area. And there's no way that they could support a population of millions alone tens of millions in, the, in that situation we know you need resources for the population to grow but if you look at our own history it, your school history lessons you know that well, before we could have the industrial revolution we had to have the agrarian evolution until we could get away from subsistence farming and could have more intensive farming to provide more food um, we, we couldn't have the urban centres and it was, that was when, in this country, in the first quarter of the 19th century, the, the population increased by 15 million, simply because there had been this change in the, in the way the food was supplied. And back then, in the ancient Middle East, where was that resource available? There was only one place. It was on the floodplain of the Nile. Because every year the, the flood waters brought down washed down more, more soil, and the, the, everything was renewed, and with the climate, they could grow three or four crops on the same land each year. And that was the, the, the only place within that well, possibly in the known world at that time, where, where that would happen. So they had to be in an area like that for their population to go. And if, and if that was the strategy by the time Moses arrived, it had worked, because the Egyptians were so alarmed at the rate of growth of the um, Israel's population that they were actually killing babies. So that, 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 there is a logic to that. And the other thing that is slightly surprising is, after four hundred years, they would not integrated into the local population. I mean, if Uh, immigrant populations that came to this country around 1700 would would expect to be part of our um, society now but they weren't they still kept separately and they also not in very comfortable conditions and you think why would the Lord impose that upon them but thinking about that if they were living comfortably why would want to leave what would be the incentive to go so that the, the plan has so many strands and, and details, some fairly obvious, some quite comfortable, but some less obvious, and also pretty uncomfortable. But as always, um, God's plan does come to work out his purpose. And, and he's looking at one final detail of their, of, their, uh, of their leaving of Egypt in Exodus chapter 12. The, uh, the Egyptians are, uh, are persuaded to hand over their gold and silver so that even as they leave, they take with them the resources to build a tabernacle and, and the Ark of the Covenant that suitable for the Lord to dwell in. And this promise that was originally made about 4,000 years ago, you know, does it resonate in our modern world? When I was working a, 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 some, some quite a few years ago now, um, we did business with a, a, a firm in Abergavenny in Wales and, and they um, I don't know how they describe them they, they, they fashion and soft furnishings were, were, were their things they, it, it was all high end they had um, uh, space in Harrods and mm. Places like that to, to as outlets, and they had sold a lot to the American market. They also um, dressed up some of the royal family because B- Patricia had her OBE, and I'm sure that was the basis of that. But one of the other things they they were called upon from time to time was to make film costumes, and they'd got some photographs around their reception area. I'm not greatly into films myself, but the One or two, I recognise Elizabeth Taylor uh, because she used to get in the press quite a bit. Um, But they were saying that they had uh, been asked to to, uh, make costumes um, for two actresses who were uh, involved in making a a film about the Ten Command, uh, the um, the plagues of Egypt, and the Exodus. Uh, They they said that the the mother of Moses, I think it was Claire Bloom that would be about the right vintage, I think, was the, was the playing Moses' mother, and they said that we we know um, the identity, obviously, of the person playing Moses' sister, but we can't disclose her identity. That has to be kept secret, because to disclose it would seriously jeopardise her life. And they said this film was being made in North Africa, so I, I immediately said, well, I suppose it means it's an Israeli actress making a filming in an Islamic Arab country and um, Charles said, no, it's much worse than that. It's an Islamic Arab actress making a film about the promised land and there are people that don't want to hear about a promised land and it w- would actually take her life as a consequence. So we're looking for... for uh, but they, they, these are the, all the old, co- these are old covenant um, uh, plans and promises from God. T- trying to translate, see if there are any characteristics we can, we can look at um, for uh, our, our situation now in the church. And I think I've left my Bible somewhere, haven't I? No, there are um, lots of certainties we can take from the, the Bible, but there are also we also have this struggle of finding our own place in it. Um, we know that the, the the church is God's plan for for spreading the gospel in the world. Um, and, we, and there are other promises. That Jesus is here with us this morning. He's promised that if we gather in his name, he's here with us this morning. And we, what I've been trying to look at is, is what um, the, this translation of this close personal relationship with Jesus brings to the, to the body, to, to um, the To our gathered church, and and the first indication I, I, I had of that was I found in Colossians chapter one, verses fifteen to twenty. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Now the significance of that is that it stresses that we need to know who Jesus is. I mean, you know, accept his supremacy, his authority, his uniqueness. Because, in the same way, some people don't like to hear about the promised land, there are those who will accept Jesus as the teacher, the prophet, the healer, even, but as the risen son of the living God, the conqueror of sin and death, the coming judge. Now, that there are those that would fear this, this, this power and deny his authority. And, and, and just to accentuate how um, significant that is, now, what Jesus himself said in, in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 24... Now that point was a pivotal point in Jesus' life and ministry. From then on, he, was, he went on to, to teach or tell his disciples, I don't think they were, got the message, how it was going to end, how he, going to, how he was going to be sacrificed. But at that point, he knew that they had got the messages of who he was, he knew he had got the basis on which he could build his church. And it was at that point he knew that his ministry on earth was coming to an end because it was then that he set his face towards Jerusalem and knew that he was going to Calvary from there. He knew that his time had come for that. But when we look at uh, uh, now the, um, how that relates to our situation in the church. Romans chapter 12 and verses 3 to 5. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has attributed to each of you. but just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Which is reinforced in in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 12 again. Verses 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. We were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink, Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So what these passages remind us is that the church is one body, we are all members of the body, but Jesus is the head. And all the intelligence, reasoning, control, and planning all reside in the head. All the parts of the body take their direction from the head. Now, if, as Claude was saying last week, we should strengthen our, our and increase our focus on Jesus, draw closer to him, then, collectively, the body will be sharper and, and fitter. The other thing that struck me was that as we are all... Dependent on the same head there is no pecking order in the church there is just one head, that is Jesus and we we may have um, different functions but we all have the same status and the other thing we can be sure is that if Jesus is in control of his church he knows what giftings we need and he has them all and he will provide them they are here. I did hear a story about someone that was being sh- shown around heaven, and they came across this massive warehouse, and it was seemed to stretch, you know, bigger than Amazon warehouse. It was stretched on for miles. they were went up high. It was racks everywhere, and they were chock a block full with packages, parcels. And they said, I would say, what on earth? Because it wasn't on earth. They said, whatever is this, this all about? And the answer was, they are all gifts that Jesus has sent over the years that have never been opened. And if you look at um, another reading, um, Corinthians 12 again, verses 4 to 7, We can see what, um, how this fits in with the pattern of the church. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, some or other, you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed, and no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except by the Holy Spirit. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. So Jesus is there waiting to give us gifts, but they are, they are given to us, but not for us. They, if we try to possess them, we'll destroy them. They are there for the, the gift is to the church. And it's not much of a stretch to say, therefore, each one of you is a gift to the church. It doesn't have to be big and loud. Now, you may be the one in the orchestra holding the triangle, and, and half an hour in, might, no, it, it, yeah, you, you're time to strike it. But, or you could be the conductor or leader of the orchestra. But there's no difference in status. To be complete, a body needs every part, it needs everyone. And we all need the grace and mercy of Jesus. And you may find you have a gift, but that may not be forever. Things do change. There was a, um, someone that was in this church for a time who, when he lived elsewhere, was in a fellowship where there was someone that also did the interpretations when they had a, a tongue. But his work took him away. And so apparently there was a gap in the church. But the next time an interpretation was needed, Jack, to his horror almost, <laughs> found that he got the he he got the interpretation, but he didn't get the message. He got it word at a time, which was a bit stressful. But then he did say there was an upside to that because he knew that what he was saying wasn't coming from him. He knew it was a it was a, a genuine interpretation. So you no. Know, there are many strands to what Jesus is doing and and most of them are not we to be tied down forever and The, the other thing in um, talking about Christian church, Christian work, Christian responsibility it can sound like a burden there are two things that that that, that seems to people seem to find it difficult when you're talking about Christian faith. One is that all the work seems a burden on what do I have to give up? Well, just remember who we're working with, not for, and we're yoked with Jesus. And if the load is heavy, he's going to be carrying most of it. And it's, what he, he takes is our willingness, not our cleverness, and, and, and honors that. We just need to serve in, in obedience and, and, and draw close to Him. So the so just just don't be anxious because no, He will, He will work out His purpose anyway, with us or despite us. And um, He actually in Matthew chapter 11 we get the um, what he has to say about us us working with him verses 28 to 30 come to me all you are weary and burdened and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So just, you know, this is pretty much where I came in with, with you know, put your focus on Jesus. Um, now, remember who he is. His uniqueness, his power, his authority. He is the living God. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He has all power. Look to the real Jesus, not a Jesus. And remember that he is the provider of all you need and the author and perfecter of your faith. And then just bring that gift that he entrusts you to, as a blessing to the church. and to glorify his name.